0: Hi, welcome to Liquid Cords. Today's guest is Kieran Lavery, a diverse songwriter from the small town of Ahagyaung who counts Cian Low and Willie Nelson amongst his fanbase. His music has been streamed over a hundred million times and been praised for its constant development. We spoke in depth about his music and how personal difficulties helped to shape his most recent release, Please Stay BB. He's an intriguing guy, enjoy.
1: Liquid
0: Kieran Lavery, thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, I forgot how fairly prolific you've been. You've averaged close to an album a year since not nearly dark, which is fairly remarkable. How uh, how do you
2: reflect on that? Um I I get I always think with recording music and and writing music, like unless you're unless you have a, a different passion or something that takes up so much of your time that writing and recording just becomes quite impossible then there's no excuse for not kind of being I guess like regularly um banking away things even if they're not going to be released um and I know there's a fine line there because there's there's always the question of quality control and things like that but um I, I mean, you know what it's like when you you can sit on a song for a certain period of time, and suddenly you might you'll get sick of it before anyone else even has the opportunity to hear it. And so, I always feel as if if I'm happy with it, and if it feels as if it's if if it's kind of representative of now, then I would just I would be happier to put it out and sort of see what it does rather than just covet it and then end up hating it. Absolutely. No
0: one understands that better than me um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sitting on songs for 10 years plus. Uh, and yeah, you're right, because it rep- obviously represents a time in your life. So a song seven years ago, per se, um, isn't going to be reflective of where you are now. So
2: you're going to, I guess, feel less akin to that too. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of think of albums almost like little Polaroids different with movies because you can set them in a specific time. And I guess in a sense, concept albums can be, they kind of have that ability to be able to move around where it doesn't have to be so precise um, because you, you can, you have that freedom to be able to set it in a certain time period or whatever. Um, But if you're not doing that, and if it's just things that you're writing there and then you're going to feel strongly about them at the time I do anyway but after a while the further that I go from that memory and that feeling then the more strange and disconnected I feel from the song and then so I'm more likely to go in and start to tinker to make it relevant to what's currently going on and so it's this kind of ever-evolving thing that has yeah I think that there's always a little bit of a danger of of it you know, the, the start, middle and end becoming quite warped. And, um, then they're not cohesive, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I always kind of feel like a song or whatever, or an album especially is it's a Polaroid, you look at it and you kind of say, that was me then. And that's fine. If you were good looking, then great. And if you weren't, if you had like a pop belly, then so be it, you know, it was still, that was it. Room for improvement.
0: Uh, and so what on you, <laughs> so relating that back to your first album which how are you closely connected do you feel that now and what do you remember of that time
2: in your life um i guess my personal life i don't really remember a whole lot i think i was 20 24 25 26 that kind of period um and i had sort of collected those songs as I went along and with them, with those songs being the first kind of solo venture as an album uh, I just remember feeling quite um, I wouldn't say stressed I, I i think I just, I put a lot of um, mm, I, I, I sort of wanted and I felt that there was a necessity to record these things as quickly as possible because they felt like a little collection and I I did that thing where I started to to kind of close the doors on them, as it were. And so I, I give myself this this very short space of time to to at least have them recorded and then I could decide what I wanted to do with them after. But um I think I, you know, I was probably, you know, mid-twenties. Music wasn't a full time thing then, so I was working in a leisure center in Craigavon, you know, and just kind of feeling like this is really great that I go and record at whatever dates that we had set. And it felt like a really nice, um, distraction from what real life was with doing the little funny rabbit things. Um, and so, I mean, it was recorded so quickly because I didn't really have much money then, and and um, I think it was recorded over the course of maybe two weekends. But it's it's quite sparse as well. Like it, it's, the purpose of the purpose of that album was for it to sound as if it was recorded during the night. And so, I around that time, I think I was listening to a lot of low anthem and um, a few of these kind of what do you call them? New folk is that what you would call? I don't know. Like that, you know that that kind of two thousands, very soft. Uh, I guess it was more folk than it was any like Americana or anything like Mm -hmm. that. Um, So I was listening to a lot of that and trying to keep things quite simple because the songs in their essence were just simple songs. I didn't want to overcomplicate them. And uh, yeah, I remember being very, very frightened the first time I was in the studio, overwhelmed completely. I think if someone would have suggested something, I would have probably said yes, even if I felt like it was terrible, you know, or a terrible decision to make at that stage. I just kind of really hadn't found my voice. But I was lucky enough that I went in with this very clear idea. And so the boundaries were sort of set from the off. And and in that sense, it was nice because there wasn't any real opportunity or threat of that suddenly veering into like a jazz album and i'm at the end thinking what was that about you know
0: lim- you've actually said that to me before in the past like with i think even with writer's block about put certain limitations on yourself you know you said i think we were talking about recording you said like just try it with a guitar an electric guitar a bass and drums and don't do anything more than that and i guess for you there was limitations in your first album and you, you said i want these to these songs to carry themselves, I guess, without much intrusion.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I I think I always aspired to, to create some sort of songwriter album that, that could stand on its own feet just by, you know, either lyrically or by the vocal, you know, Mm. because I was never, I was never someone who was blown away by 12 minute guitar solos. And You know, um, I always remember a guy that I um, played in, like, a garage band years and years ago when I was a teenager. We were terrible. Can I curse on this? Yep. Okay. Um, We were terrible. And uh, and I remember um, we were kind of holding these open audition things. It wasn't even really that. That sounds quite... um, it sounds quite illustrious we're just asking different people to come into the garage and if they wanted to to play alongside us and um I still don't have this, the luxury of offering audition yeah yet. yeah and this guy just just kept asking us did did, did we do or no topping and he just kept doing like some metallica stuff while he topped just, like, yeah. these incredible <laughs> solos but just kept you know Trying to bring everything back to top, and so I think that that almost instilled this sense of fear in my head, where I thought, "God, I, I don't want to end up there," because mm. that just it's it. Yes, it's it's a it's a it's a completely different art form, and it might be for some people the same as like the drum sound on Saint Anger that ping 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 whatever sound that that uh, the, good old Lars makes, but the trash can <laughs> exactly. Um, it's it's. It's like anything. I mean, music is, is one of those things where it's your interest first, and then you just kind of hope that other people will also like that. So, um, so yeah, I I, I think by also kind of being very strict with the instrumentation, it didn't allow for any tapping, really, <laughs> essentially.
0: Yeah. the I remember listening to the track. I've said this to you before and asking myself, at the time what is the difference between these songs and the songs of artists in the same genre and, like the same world and the answer probably was exposure in chance because i the quality was i never questioned It just i love that album so much and subsequently you did kind of get that exposure about you know in a year and a half in a, in a sense and how did that like how did you go? How did what was the feeling like going from working in Brownlow or Craig Alvin and doing this part time, and then all these
2: things coming, all the opportunities? Mm-hmm. It's hard to say, really. I, I, I don't really. I don't remember feeling overwhelmed or feeling as if there was a eureka moment, or or that I felt like in any sense that I had made it. But it was certainly nice i think i i probably felt you know then there was the pressure started i started to put like some pressure on myself you know in that i i knew okay I, i i i have been given an opportunity now so i need to um i need to grab this with both hands it's just you know it's one of those things where i think the longer that i've that i've kind of been fortunate enough to to be able to do this full time that you realize that there's only so much of this is within your own kind of control as it were some people are very very good at they create their worlds and so it's harder for people to penetrate that or or to affect that in any way and um, I guess I, I, I was very green even you know a year and a half two years later after that first album where I thought I was, you know, this this is everything that I kind of wanted to achieve, um, but it's um, it's a it's a difficult step in that sense, you know, because you're you, you're essentially inviting people into your world, and uh, whether or not you want to tune into expectations is is another story. And I think I I'm always happier when I just disregard that.
0: Yeah, I obviously- think because that. Was, obviously becomes harder to do though.
2: No. Well, yeah. And, and I, you know, then you start to make things with other people in mind or, you know, I don't really know anybody who has made anything that they thought, you know, it was going great or it was going okay. But then once I started considering what this person and that person would want, suddenly it took off. It's generally the opposite. Um, but I think the one thing that I did really enjoy was the freedom of the first album. Because the, the the shackles were off in terms of what I was hoping to achieve from it. It was just, I needed to record these songs. And that was it. That was There was no, I didn't look at this like this is the platform. And so when it happened, I was almost late to that. It was my brother-in-law that had to message me and, and say about the numbers on Spotify and stuff like that. And even then, I, I had no real idea of what that meant. Yeah, because, you know, then Spotify was like this online jukebox thing that I thought, what the hell's that, you know?
0: Yeah.
2: It wasn't relevant.
0: Actually you were the first person that I knew who you kind know, of experienced that. And how how do you like what do you think about Spotify now as an artist? Like how do you
2: I mean it's it's necessary, right? It's it's kind of just everyone's still really pleased if you get a new music Friday or, um, or you put a release out you still want to make sure that you've got the best opportunity to reach as many people as possible and that right now is their streaming platforms and the number one is Spotify so I, I don't really tend to get bogged down in that whole argument about you know um, paying the artists what they deserve and stuff like that because if that were the case then we'd all be getting paid a lot more money at live shows as well but it's right across the board. And so I feel like there's a platform there. And if you have the opportunity to put your music out on it, and I mean, you know what it's like if you you, you get a song put onto a, a playlist or one of these fucking coffee house th- things or whatever, I mean, your your monthly plays can go through the roof. Um, and if it helps you kind of, to continue to do this or in terms of longevity then fantastic
0: yeah i i totally agree i totally agree i've I've been on the side of when it's worked for me and when i've questioned it and i would say for me now i think there's i've my music has reached people and your music has reached people that wouldn't who would never have heard it who would never have had those songs? It was like you never would have made those connections without Spotify. So, you know, I'm not. I I understand it's worth, and um, yeah, it can be. You know, who who's not looking to make a playlist? I mean, if you're not, you're yeah, well, like, lamb.
2: <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, it's it's one of those things where you, you, I don't I don't know um if it's particularly healthy to go and, you know, fight for the playlists and and really attack them um but if they happen to to just kind of fall into place without any real um i guess without deviating from whatever your plan is mm-hmm. then that always feels like the healthiest thing uh in my head anyway because it just all comes back to this idea of you know wanting to be able to control what what exactly you're doing every step that that you take Getting a bit like sting here um <laughs> You know, that you just generally, you, you know what's going to come around the corner rather than gunning for, like, the little, the, the kind of short-term wins. Because, yeah. I mean, there's these these little spikes, but, you know, I don't know about, in terms of longevity, that that's another question.
0: Yeah, spikes, for sure. That, that sums, sums it up in one word. Uh, so, yeah, with, with the first album and the, you kind of had new opportunities. You start meeting more people and one of them is Ran Veil vale in your card, The Brilliant Sea Legs. What what was it like collaborating with someone considering that, you, you know, the way Not Nearly Dark was written and recorded and it was
2: all you The boxed up with you? Um, I, it didn't really feel dissimilar. It just, you know, I, I like, I enjoy collaboration because I think if you... If you can find someone who you feel as if they're bringing something else, and you you know it means that you can still bring a hundred percent of what you do, rather than having to either water it down or or to feel as if you're having to hold back to a lie or you're having to make up because someone else is is kind of carrying it, um, then then it it, it functions to its. Kind of full potential, and I think that was the case with Ran. I, I just I had these songs. Well, I had one song, and um, and you know, it would it wouldn't have happened without Lyndon, and uh, and that it it kind of just fell into place because I I was just arriving with an acoustic guitar in these songs, and so I was able to kind of in my mind contribute to my full potential, uh, and. Kind of hold up my end of the bargain, and then ran with all of kind of his skills in the production side and and that ambient side of music. That he, well, he he's kind of he's he's all over the fucking place, but he he is in that sort of area. I guess I wouldn't necessarily say he's just the ambient guy because he, he does a lot of different things. But um, but yeah, I, I felt as if it was it was just kind of it felt natural and organic enough that there was no, there was no wrestling or anything like that. I I certainly don't, I don't have any and possibly to a detriment. I, I'm not particularly precious with songs. So unless someone is going to do something terrible and just shit all over it, then that's kind of on me as well though, for not being able to see that, you know, mm-hmm. um, on the walk-in. And so I, I think I, I, I didn't really worry about that Rand because he was so, I guess, um, he was very focused on not getting in the way and I was okay with that. So I sort of knew that it was going to be fine.
0: You mentioned Lyndon there, just for people who might know Lyndon Stevens. He's, uh, he's a manager, label guru, kind of everything. <laughs> uh, he sadly passed away at the start of this year. He was incredibly important to you. Um, particularly around that period for sure um, with your music I'm sure personally as well take,
2: yeah I mean he took a chance on me around the time when there were a few people showing interest in terms of you know it wasn't as if there were you know my door wasn't kind of coming down with with, um, with people or contracts weren't coming through the, the post but Lyndon was someone who just was very straight. And I mean the first time I met him uh, was at a, a gig um in the black box and he asked me if I'd want to come around for a cup of tea and I sat down with him and his and his family and, and Lisa and the kids and and they were just kind of doing their normal house thing and I thought that was really nice that you know I wasn't sort of brought into an office and and you know fed the the water with the cucumber and stuff in it it wasn't it was very normal and i think from then I, I i sort of yes i had my guard up completely because i didn't want to be given away like you know 20% of as as most management contracts go. yeah yeah so it's it's one of those things where you you can't you you can't really ever know it's just do you want to gamble on this and that was something that it was a nice introduction because he he played a lot of music in the corner on um he just constantly kept getting up from the chair and, and putting on different records while we were talking and linden just had that ability to talk about maybe four to five different things at once and never really get to the end <laughs> or make it an actual point i mean that starts to kind of grate you after a <laughs> while like but he was uh, he was a brilliant person just like he just loved music. I mean, that was, that was it. Bottom line, he completely loved music and we, we, we sort of opened a lot of doors together and it was really nice doing that with him because they were first for both of us. And yes, there were times that there were mistakes made and, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't ever like blame Lyndon because he was always on my side. And even though, you know, we were both as green as hell we just kind of went for it, and it was it was it was really nice um, because uh, because it was kind of built from the ground up with Lyndon, and so I mean the only thing was he was probably the worst driver I've ever been in a vehicle with. <laughs> he had the wrong way the motorway, like how'd he even do that?
0: <laughs> that actually, this I know that for the for a fact. That's not the first time that's happened to you. We uh, had a trip to Nashville a few years ago with, uh, remember Ross from Generator? Ross yes, Graham
2: man, grew drove the wrong <laughs> way we were both in the car at that time <laughs> oh.
0: yeah, Ross, we could we do a full podcast and Ross, genius <laughs> absolutely genius uh, so after that, after, so around that period then you have to follow up everything with the ominous sophomore album uh, mm-hmm. which was you retained elements of the First album, in a sense probably the arrangement and just the ability, I think just something you're able to do very well in all your songs. They don't necessarily need loads of instrumentation to carry themselves. Or you know you just kind of start with a strong bass. But there were there were developments and particularly in relation to I thought um like the programming and electronic side, uh and just basically kind of established you as somebody who wasn't afraid to make those changes. What? How do you reflect on that? Bad in now. Uh,
2: I mean, I always liked the album. It's um. It was a it was a strange recording process, and for re- for reasons we'll not get into. But <laughs> it was um, I think, on reflection, I I remember. Standing with Lyndon at at We were somewhere, and we were just listening to like a mix of of one of the the songs. and And he was really excited. And I didn't I never know, and i I, I still kind of feel like I can never judge whether a song is actually any good or not because if someone else is also so close to either you or the project, they'll they'll be giddy mm-hmm. to the point where you're kind of you don't know whether it's actually real or they're just because they're also a part of it. It's all of these feelings and emotions just kind of come to the fore. And so I don't remember thinking at the time that it was anything particularly, you know, groundbreaking or whatever. Um, I just, I kind of felt like these songs sit together and this is a nice body of work. And I think once I had selected the songs, um, then I was just ready to go into the studio. We, we just did that. I think I've generally always had that same approach where I'll not overwrite. I'll just kind of stick to whatever amount of songs all seem to fit together, like they're the same family. And then if I feel as if I start to write and something veers a little bit, then I almost, it's almost like a little indication to myself, like I'm falling out of that bubble that was the world of that album. And so better to just wrap it up than try to, you know, um, I guess almost pretend or try to slide back in there if, as it were, like that door has closed and you've now moved on to something else. Because, I mean, I don't know whether you're similar in that you have a couple of albums or signs around a specific time that really they just take up most of your life where you just listen to them constantly, and so there's a, a certain amount of. You're using those as like, I guess like um, templates, as it were. And so then once you start to listen to something else, you feel as if you're moving beyond where your taste palette was before. Mm -hmm. And so to try to write from something that you know existed in a different world, and you're you're already you know beyond that point, it's more difficult. So I think you know I've been lucky enough that I haven't really had. You know, you read about bands, and they're like, "We had two hundred songs. We had narrowed down to a hundred, and you know, eventually we got down to that eight track album." And you're thinking, "How the hell did that happen?" It was written over the course of twelve years, and you're like, <laughs> "Fucking hell!"
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I always find that fascinating how people can go as far as completing a song before they know it's totally bad. You know, yeah. I, I, if I'm not completely hooked, I don't. I, I'll never. I don't think i ever, ever finished something that didn't think there was at least one. Mm nice element then, and i kind of wanted to dress the last two albums together You've been quite like you're quite open about the fact that the third album was really difficult in that whole process and your most recent album please stay baby was inspired by how difficult that whole that time in your life was and like the, the process of the third album i think it's interesting that it, it took that album to kind of get to this you know where you are now and can you talk about even just how you feel you've developed as a artist and as a person over that course of time?
2: Um I think you know, for better and, and for worse, you know, to some degree in that uh as a songwriter, I kind of I think I I, I almost went on this crusade between the Sweet Decay album and and the Please Stay album because I I th- I thought that I, I, I needed to basically not just write for myself and without the, the purposes or or the, the the kind of voices in my head, you know, telling me to try to write something commercial or or, or this needs to land here and there. I mean that 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 is always going to be floating around in this kind of music world anyway, but in a sense that with this between album 3 and 4 i i kind of felt as if i ne- i i just needed to make a conscious effort to write as honestly as i could and be just completely frank and um you know I, there's a certain part of me looks back on it now and thinks i achieved some of that you know i achieved some of that then that i thought that's as far as i can go right now and now i kind of feel as if i can i can push that i can i can further that you know, because where I kind of, where I, I thought I accessed a different level of honesty within, you know, the, the fourth album, the latest one, I still think that some things were probably, and I've always had that like honest songwriter tag um, attached. I think most songwriters do where, you know, it's always something like heartfelt or fucking he's, sincere. You no, know, he's, he's. He's never written anything this open before, and you're like, oh for fuck's sake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um and there's you know, there's nothing wrong with that sentiment. I just kind of feel like personally I could I could probably I can push that now and I can keep pushing that envelope to where I'm comfortable. And I think, for example, probably the the, the biggest example that I have of that would be Celine, because it, it was just one of those it was the song after that album where I kind of felt like now i i think i have it mm-hmm. i think i had that moment where i was able to kind of push beyond the first uncomfortable step um and i mean a lot of the like the Please Stay album is is based around the my sort of time in um in therapy and going to a counselor which is like severely taboo definitely around these parts in hagel um but uh, <laughs> and and probably you know, I still think it's it's very much seen as as a something that ill people do, and you you don't talk about. You know, you're almost like um, you're the broken thing in the corner, and um, and so there was a a certain element of of that album and the the creation of that. I I didn't really want to sit and journal as I was kind of being encouraged to do. I, I sort of journaled through songs, thinking. If I can add a, a kind of comfortable bed where I can write this these things down, because I, I personally can't write anything down on paper if it's a lie, if it's a, a kind of flat out lie, I believe that you cannot do that. I believe you can say them to other people. But trying to lie to yourself is 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 very, very difficult. And I think even trying to get beyond like the thoughts into your hand, because you have to actually write a full sentence out, whatever that sentence is. And so um, so I find it easier to kind of construct thoughts, uh, and even if they are like vulnerable feelings about myself, um, uh, with a sense of like a melody or, or some goal being a song. Um, and, but I mean, it's, it's not, it's not perfect by any means. And I, I certainly had, um, I think I had a very, very. Mm, I would say like uncomfortable and probably, you know, very um, unhappy times in around those two albums as well, where uh, with the fourth record, it felt as if like I was just trying to get over a line and, and there was a a, a I almost felt wrung out by the end of it, like a sponge. But then after about, you know, a, a period of time, I was really proud of that work. And potentially then when we started to talk about the idea of how do we basically put this out into the world without overexposure or without me kind of having to face a lot of questions about, you know, what went on in your personal life then? And you you have to keep repeating that, repeating that. You can, well, I was worried about finding myself just slipping back down into that sinkhole. And it, it is, it's something that I'm still trying to find some sort of balance with right now. It's not to say that it's like I kind of feel like if you're if you're someone who's quite melancholic or or you, you have darker spots in your life or things are a bit more opaque, then that's generally that's the that's what's going to happen um, from time to time. It's just being able to uh, turn those into constructive things, and I think what I enjoyed from from coming out with the, with the Please Stay album was that I could see and and feel this sense of, of community of people who also, you know, were in those places. And, and, um, and so I was quite proud in terms of when we were kind of, you know, putting all those songs out that there, there was no, there was no real, you know, trying to, trying to put a few sticky plasters on things and, and trying to create like a whole other, um, story behind it because there wasn't one that existed. Mm -hmm.
0: You recently worked with Joshua Burnside, Mm um, uh, double A side uh, could you chat to me
2: about the process and what that was for Um, yeah well I mean the, the the kind of recording process itself was so um accidental I mean it probably wouldn't have happened without this year doing whatever this year is, is doing and so suddenly you know um, I I kind of felt as if this might be a nice time to record some songs that I maybe always wanted to to work on or had had recently been listening to. And within that batch of, of songs I I find the um Blaze Foley song, If I Could Only Fly and and then uh and the David Lynch uh, Jack Cruz song, uh, True Love's Flame. So um it yeah, I, I think with with this year being quite open in terms of you're not trying to contact someone who's on the other side of the world or, or has, um, even though, you know, Josh just released his album. Um, it's not as if he was going to be out on touring and things yeah. like that. So it was, a, it was a kind of opportune time then. And, uh, neither of us had, had kind of uh, approached, um, doing anything, uh, really, kind of those uh charity releases that a lot of it was happening around the start of lockdown like the same with online gigs and stuff and, and there was just a, a lot of these it was almost like a, a bombardment and it was great i just i didn't have anything then that i thought because I, I knew i wanted to work with welcome and then i thought you know what the closer it gets to christmas it's it that to me always feels like an important time um to support i mean it's it's obviously it's important all year round but especially around christmas you know there's there's a lot of people and having kind of went in and and talked to Kieran at welcome and a volunteered there one christmas um there's a lot of young people and they're very local as well and it's surprising i think the demographic it really surprised me at the the kind of people who were in there and you know it was it was almost to a certain extent, there was a sense of looking into the mirror, but just on a different path, if you know what I mean. Like there was, uh, usually, a, well, before I would have thought most people who are living on the streets in Belfast would either be, um, you know, they've they've came over, or they've come over, um, somewhere in uh, Europe, and and they've they've kind of just found any way that they could to get here, and so and they're they're kind of trying to, I guess, find their footing. Um, or they're older and they're alcoholics and I was really surprised to see young boys like teenage boys and um, but it was great seeing the, the work that they do and uh, and so I always knew that I wanted to work with them and I had kind of in my head had earmarked Christmas because you know um, yes there was this whole initial uh kind of support for charities, but I don't know whether that started to, um, Peter off as the year went on. I have no idea, but, um, so again, it was just opportunity. We, 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 yeah, we, we had those two songs and, um, and I just talked to Kieran at the welcome organization and asked what he, uh, like if, if we offered these songs up as, um, kind of fundraisers for, for them. Um, and he's great i mean he's he's just he's a very very passionate guy, like most people who work in that in that area um so it was it was nice i mean it was really interesting recording those two songs just on like a personal level, but to know that it's not really with any career gains in mind it was just what could we do that would be really interesting and then after that it was kind of like I, I was excited about giving it giving these songs up to the welcome organization because I knew how much great work that, that they did Um and so it was more that I wanted them to be really good for you know for them to have and f- for, for those songs to to hopefully raise some money for them Um and there was I guess it was like a little bit of pressure there in that sense but it was nice working with Josh. I haven't, um, I've worked with him ages ago on like some covers fucking years ago in Mike Mormica's place. And, uh, Josh came in with Rachel around that time, but I hadn't, um, I haven't really worked with him since cause he's just so busy.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, so opportune, um,
0: opportune time. And yeah. It's just, yeah. Uh,
2: it was just, it was one of those things. I mean, it, that's, that's the weird thing about like this year anyway, you know, it, it, it's, um, it's, yes, it's it's utterly shit in many ways because you know you're you're kind of staring at the, the same four walls. But if you're if you wanted to do something and especially collaborative work, I've I've kind of found like this is the best time to be doing it because everyone else is, is either they're more open to it than they were before or or they're they're happy to get stuck in.
0: For next year, um have you got any sort of schedule lined up? No. No, no, not one. no. <laughs> I have like
2: I have I have <laughs> I have things I have things sitting there, but they're with no um. There's no real. There's no plan put in place now. Uh, in terms of this is has to come out here, or we're gonna go for this. I just I know that the things that we have, I'm I'm sitting okay in that there are there are things there that we could that we could be using. It's just you know. It's just a matter of kind of like seeing how these next few months go.
0: Would you go back with the band? What do you think if you were going to in again or take it back?
2: Oh well, with with Donnie with Donny Ball, it, we've we've kind of got a, a, a really nice thing. Iced used, used to um rail against the idea of of using back and track. And then seeing the likes of St. Vincent doing her thing. I thought, you know what? Who really gives a shit these days? If if you want to put on a really good show, and yes, I understand when people want to play every single instrument live, and I love seeing bands organically do things on stage. Lankham are amazing at it. Um, and you can hear and see them making the sounds. But in terms of us being able to bring a show as Two Men, Two Men, that's the name of the band, um... <laughs> Uh it's um it's comfortable because you know that you're not coming in with a pile of gear and you know, it's it's worse when you're you're opening for somebody and you're you're given a carpet at the front and you kinda wanna make sure that you can get everything onto it and also be out of be a, a literal fucking shadow yeah and not, not get in anyone else's way. And so no, I think like Donny having everything that he has, it's not too dissimilar, I guess, like from the setup that you would have with Matt um, that you there's a certain element of what you're using is, is programmed and you know if that's what people are into then class and if they're not that's okay it's not craft work like no. you know I don't look good in a puller neck anyway <laughs> a turtleneck sorry not a puller neck puller
0: I wore one recently for the first time I think I turtleneck think I, yeah I think I found the thing Um How'd that go yeah good I was, I was impressed.
2: Um, I always worry about them because, like, I remember uh, there was a certain time period, wasn't there? It was like in the nineties, seventeen um, and stuff, and it was very turtleneck time. Now you've got, uh, me but they did make a the comeback there. No, I think like it's definitely it was a, it was a definite thing again. I just, I'm, you're taller than me. Like, i I'd, I'd look like I would look like a literal tortoise, <laughs> just shoved in. To turtleneck, <laughs> terrible.
0: Yeah, that's that's my one good feature for long neck.
2: So, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta work with pride. Yeah, you know I mean,
0: thanks a million for doing this, man. I have no really problem. enjoyed catching up. No, we've I think the past two Christmases I've ended up coming over to yours and having to drink too many and being damned for work the next day. hi Steph, did you have a good Christmas?
1: Yeah, I had a great Christmas. I had a lot of uh, boozy raisins in my Christmas cake. How about you?
0: Yeah, me too. Uh, the family all love the old fashions and very popular choice. And I'm a very popular boy as a result of it. So, yeah, thanks for the tip.
1: Woo! That was actually my Christmas present to you. Yeah. It was a cocktail cred with your fam. So, you're welcome.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. What have you got for <laughs> us this week?
1: um yeah so this week i thought i'd make a drink that um is probably it's it's a lot less punchier than the christmas old-fashioned was and it's just something that's like light it's refreshing it's uh you know it's it's it, it's a it's a nice easy drink
0: yeah i think i need um, one of those at this point
1: <laughs> um it'll also you know like it helps with like the day after um the old-fashioned night Excellent. um so this one is called the dive ball and it's actually dead rabbit's signature serve so, um, it is dead rabbit with a little bit of sea salt, some peycho bitters, and then it's topped up with tonic water. Okay. <coughs> Ma-
0: we can choose our own measurements.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we- <laughs> <laughs> My voice got caught yeah just casually you know what just like a bottle just have like a bottle like a sea salt grinder and like a bottle of tonic and then like it's fine actually just swig alternately from each (laughs) and then like occasionally crack sea salt in your mouth (laughs) like
0: the tequila put it on your
1: Um, Yeah, Um, uh, although you have given me a new idea for shots, but that's a whole other thing. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) official measurements. Um, So you have your standard measure of dead Rabbit. So it's 35 mils. Um, If you want to use a little bit more, that's totally fine because you can compensate by adding more tonic water. So you're just going to throw it in a glass, um, a long glass over ice. So you throw in about 35 mils of dead rabbit. Two dashes of Peychaud bitters. Again, these are bitters that you can get in a specialty store that sells fancy ones and whiskeys. And then you get your um, sea salt and, you know, um, you can just add, like, the teeny, tiniest pinch. Or if you have one of those fancy uh, grinders, you can add, a. I call it a half a crack, a half (laughs) a crack of uh, sea salt. (laughs) It's really important you have these measurements down, you know, (laughs) Um, and then you top it up with um, tonic water. And um, this is one of those drinks where it's served long and it's delicious. But we do recommend that you give it a little bit of a stir just because um, you want to make sure that the sea salt dissolves and that the whiskey kind of goes with the tonic throughout the drink. And then to garnish, you just cut off a big juicy orange wedge and uh, lash it in on top. Nice, easy drinking.
0: Yeah, so I need something easy at this point so yeah sounds good thank you Steph
1: no problem happy new year you too
0: so that was Kieran Lavery and we're delighted to play you out with a track from his most recent album Please Stay BB be sure to check it out as it might make for a nice Christmas gift
2: A cigarette I want a cigarette I'd rather be in love I'd rather be in love I need to please myself I need to please myself I need to please myself I'm settling in my